So many people think that dignity is the same as respect. And respect is really important. That was something we earn. We earn respect. Dignity is our birthright. We're born with it. A little baby has dignity. We've done nothing to earn it. Nobody has more or less dignity than another person. Dignity, as essential as it is, and as, as much as it's our birthright, it's also incredibly vulnerable to harm. Are you burned out, overwhelmed, not managing stress well? Have you lost that fire for a profession that you loved? Are you a physician that trained over a decade for a career you now resent? I'm Dr. V, and I'm a burnout survivor. I call myself the Harriet Tubman of healthcare because I'm free and I'm coming back to get you so you can be free too. Let's move from fed up to fixing it. Although I'm a doctor, this does not make me your doctor. The information on the podcast, including opinions and recommendations, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of an appropriately qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Hey, it's Dr. V. So the episode that you're getting ready to listen to is with Dr. Jennifer Gregg. She's an oncologist. And her work is in dignity. And so you probably don't know what that means, but we almost talked about an hour. And it became very clear to me that this work is not only for the workplace, but it's also for our personal relationships. And if we get this concept that she's talking about, relationships will be better. Our stress will be better. So we have split this episode into part one and part two. And you're getting ready to listen to part one. And she's basically just going to go through the principles of what dignity means and what that looks like. So I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you will tune in next week for part two. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Office visits with Dr. B, and I am your lovely, wonderful, fabulous host, Benita Renato, also known as Dr. V, board certified OBGYN, board certified lifestyle medicine physician, recovering uh, burnout physician, mom, all the things, all the things. And we are here today with another episode that is created and brought to you. Uh, in the hopes that it will help you lead a happier uh, and healthier life. And um, I just want to say thank you for those who are listening. And if you're new, um, welcome. And we are now, we're expanding. We've been on Facebook and Instagram. And I have my website, officebusinesswithdrv.com. But now we're on YouTube. We're on YouTube and we're on TikTok. Please, I'm accessible. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions or any podcast ideas um, that you would like to see Dr. Reed bring to you. I'm very open. I am now just, I'm in a season where I'm growing. I finally found what my purpose is and I've created the vision and the seeds are planted and I'm starting to see the leaves pop up. And um, one of the things that I've created is a um, a morning program. I don't know what I'm calling it, but it is a morning routine that I do with women. 
And we start early. One is at 5.15 and the other is at 6 a.m. And we do, uh, we meditate. Then we do a reading, um, a devotional. Then we journal. We say our affirmations. And then we visualize. And so we do that Monday through Thursday. But on Fridays, we do like a group coaching session. And um, I'm recording this on a Friday. And our session this morning was about living life with a sense of urgency. I'm going to do the exercise as a podcast, and I would like for you to do it with me. But essentially, uh, the question was, how do you live your life if you know for certain that you have 50 years left? And it's not 50 years of diabetes, hypertension, sick in the bed. It's 50 good years. How do you live your life if you've got 50 years left? And then how do you live your life if you have six months left? How do you live your life if you have six months left? What does that feel like as far as there's an urgency that comes with six months? Uh, and so um, it was a really powerful exercise, which is why I'm really excited to um, have the guests that we have today. I will just share. This is really Kalikiti, um, Jennifer. I'm um, sorry. I'm going to introduce her, but I'm talking to her now because what sparked this is there is, um, I guess she's a marketing specialist, mogul, Bozeman St. John, and she wrote a book called The Urgent Life, where her husband literally had six months to live and it just changed the way she lived her life. But he had cancer. He got cancer. And the oncologist just looked at them because nothing was working and just said, hey, if there's a life that you want to live, things you want to do, you better do it now. And what she said was, of course, you know, they did things, but anger and, you know, forgiveness and bitterness, all of those things didn't matter, didn't matter anymore. And so um, we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about dignity today. We're going to be talking about dignity and how to know when that's been compromised. And we'll definitely get into some self-worth issues. Um, but, you know, as always, my message is, is you have value, you have a purpose, um, and so our guest today is going to help us kind of outline it because it's been her life's work um, leading up to this point. Maybe she didn't know it was her life's work, but it is now. And so I'd like for you all to welcome Dr. Jennifer Griggs. If I had a sound effect, Dr. Jennifer Griggs is a, well, she's an oncologist, which that's why I said it's kind of I don't know, kind of coincidental that that kind of came up this week. But she is leading organizations, essentially, and I'm going to paraphrase it, and then I will give her the floor, but how to help organizations honor those that are working for them and honor their dignity and take care of them, and specifically in the healthcare arena. So uh, she is an MD. She's a physician. Um, so Dr. Griggs. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah. Thank you for, for agreeing to come on to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to spend some time with you. Yes, yes, yes. And guys, we have connected um, before this podcast and we are we are like minds and like spirits. And so um, I, I really think you're going to enjoy what she has to say. So, all right. I know about you, uh, but uh, share with my audience uh, who you are and what you are doing with them. Well, thank you again for this opportunity. I am a medical oncologist. My specialty is in breast oncology. 
and taking care of patients and their families through uh, decision-making and difficult times and triumphs has been something that's been a tremendous honor for me. Mm-hmm. About five years ago, I retired early from clinical medicine and I still work in healthcare, but I also developed as a personal and leadership coach around the topics of dignity and forgiveness, forgiveness of others and forgiveness of the self. This came about after I had a really difficult event happen at work. And I got so stuck in unforgiveness that I needed to make a change. It was, it was hurting my physical health, my mental health, my marriage, my relationships with friends. And I realized I needed to, I needed to stop. I needed to have a plan. And so I became an expert in forgiveness. And that led into an exploration of dignity. Because when our dignity is violated, when we're hurt, the way out of that is through forgiveness, which I can talk about a little bit in a moment, because there's so many misunderstandings about forgiveness Mm -hmm. that I'd rather rather focus on dignity first, and then we could do a little exploration about unforgiveness and forgiveness. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So what is dignity? What is that? So many people think that dignity is the same as respect. And respect is really important. Mm-hmm. That was something we earn. So it's an acquired attribute. We earn respect. Dignity is our birthright. We're born with it. A little baby has dignity. We've done nothing to earn it. Nobody has more or less dignity than another person. Oh, so why that makes me tearing. That is very powerful. Yeah. yeah. That's very powerful. That dignity is as, as essential as it is, and as, as much as it's our birthright, it's also incredibly vulnerable to harm. So that means it can be easily harmed. Like it's, yes, it doesn't take much to, to violate it. That's right. We can violate our own dignity living in a way that doesn't honor our dignity, and we can violate other people's dignity and have our dignity violated by other people. Um, so it's essential, but it's, it's fragile. Is there a way you can make it less fragile? I might be getting ahead of myself, but... Well, I think, I think, I think centering dignity in everything we do and being attuned to the situations and people that violate our dignity can help preserve it and even more important, reclaim it. Learning how to reclaim our dignity when it's been violated and doing that over and over again and developing what Donna Hicks, an expert in dignity, calls dignity consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And seeing things through the lens of dignity, I think, can make it more robust. I guess what's powerful about what you said, the difference between respect and dignity is that you don't earn dignity. You're born with it. But in our society, we don't feel, I mean, we feel like we've got to earn things and we've got to be worthy of them and prove that we deserve things. So if sometimes we're putting the onus on ourselves to to get dignity, quote unquote, how do you know when your dignity has been violated? It's a feeling. It's, something doesn't feel right. It's a gut punch. 
it feels like something bad happened and we don't always know how to voice that. Once we start to think about dignity, it's so much easier to see violations of dignity on the news or in an essay that we read. It's so easy to see violations of dignity with other people. And also when people have violated our dignity, to be curious and say, did I do something to violate theirs? Because when our dignity is violated, it's very natural. We're sort of hardwired to violate back. Mm. So I wonder if it would be helpful to talk about the elements of dignity, because I think that might ground it a little bit more and help your listeners see examples of dignity violations. Yes, let's do that. Okay. Elements of dignity. The elements of dignity. I, it's like meeting the seven dwarves, right? You can, how many are 10 elements? So I mentioned Donna Hicks before. She's at Harvard University and, and wrote a book called Dignity and has, through her work in interviewing people all over the world, world identified 10 elements of dignity. So I'll go through those and then we can pause at any point. And I've grouped them into sort of clusters. ways of thinking about them. So the first one is acceptance of identity. So when somebody doesn't accept our identity because of our sex, our gender identity, our race, our religion, that's a violation of dignity. The next one is closely related and it's inclusion. So when we're excluded in our family, in our workplace, in our communities, in our world, that's a violation of dignity. And it may be because our identity isn't being accepted. So you can see that they group together. And then closely related to that is psychological and physical safety. So as you know, social exclusion, not being included, mm-hmm. makes us feels unsafe psychologically. Mm-hmm. And then many of us have been in situations where we don't feel safe physically. And that's even more fundamental. But psychological safety is so key to our thriving and our belonging. Mm -hmm. So acceptance of identity, inclusion, and safety. The next three are understanding. Having somebody say to you, I understand, is such an important part of feeling honored. And when we don't feel understood, this is a really soft spot for me. If I feel misunderstood, I'm really activated. Activated. What does that mean? Man, I don't use the word triggered because I think it's overused, but Uh basically it's it's my word for triggered. Gotcha. I get activated. It doesn't feel good, you know, and I can get really defensive if I feel somebody Mm -hmm. misunderstood me. Yes. Yes. Okay. Another, another element is, um, is acknowledgement. So being acknowledged for our contributions and our stories, you know, being acknowledged, I, I see you. That's that being seen feeling that we, that we know when it happens, right? I feel seen. The next one is recognition. And it's recognition not only for our accomplishments, but for our striving. Because if we only recognize people when they succeed, we're inhibiting the growth mindset and their courage of trying something new. So I have a team, and when people try things, even if they fail, 
That's how we grow. So that's honoring the growth mindset. So somebody striving, just trying something new and being recognized for their striving, I think is so like with our kids, right? You yeah. know, yeah. Something. they went, they auditioned for a part or tried out for a team, being recognized for that, even if they didn't make it, I think is such an important way of honoring their dignity. I have a question. So there was acknowledge and then there was recognition. Mm-hmm. Those two seem really similar to me. They're very similar. Acknowledgement is seeing people for where they are without even their actions, just acknowledging their story. And their, yes. their, that's that being seen, whereas mm-hmm. recognition mm-hmm. is more outward. Gotcha. You know, it's more calling out what you've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Yes, you can see why I cluster them together because they are different athletes of very similar elements. Yeah, yeah. The other elements are fairness, that we are held to and abide by agreed upon rules, that they not be uh, indiscriminately unfairly applied, that the same rules apply to everybody. It's somebody who is in a position of privilege is held to the same rules as everybody else. Yeah. So easily violated. And there's so many examples in organizations and in our own lives, even with our own kids, you know? Yes. I've always wondered uh, as a physician, and I mean, and why doesn't the boss get an evaluation? Like everybody else gets evaluated. They get written up. But sometimes the people running the organization, you know, they need to get written up or they need an evaluation if they need good feedback. Um, yeah. And it doesn't come and it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. So I, I can see where you're going with the dignity. There is a feeling. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Is it another three or the, the last four? It's, it's three more. Okay. So don't apologize. It's so good to see that. I'm happy to see it's sort of making sense. It's like an onion a little bit, you know, you peel back layers and then, it resonates at different levels. So accountability is closely related to fairness, that people need to be held accountable and we need to hold ourselves accountable. And when people don't take accountability, we feel that violation of our dignity. When people say, I'm sorry, you feel that way. They're not taking accountability. Or if they make an apology and follow it with but, Mm. Mm. I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah, which completely negates everything that you saying. It sure does. It sure does. <laughs> I love the it. last two are being given the benefit of the doubt. So mm-hmm. viewing people as having integrity. This yeah. is the tricky one, right? Because we talk about intent versus impact. And but when our dignity is violated through not having been given the benefit of the doubt, boy, does that hurt. So it is tricky, and, and we have to be really careful with this one. So when people push back on this element, I ask them to think of a time they were treated without being given the benefit of the doubt, when their motives were suspect. They weren't viewed as having integrity, and it, boy, does it feel bad. But closely, I mean, you've got to have that accountability piece, too. None of these stands alone. Wow. 
So this is a, an aside. I was watching something on Instagram. It was a little boy, and, and I don't know this boy. I don't know his backstory, but he was at the barbershop. He was um, a young black boy who had long locks, and he had them up in a ponytail. And he had done something at school, and they were shaving off his locks. And as they started to shave his locks, he started to shake in the chair. And he said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And it's just like something in me. I said, that baby didn't do it. Or he didn't do it as bad. As, I mean, you know, sometimes kids are getting away with, but it, it felt, and my daughter was watching it, and we felt horrible. We felt horrible. And I was like, that's going to scar him. And so when you say not being given the benefit of the doubt or even actions are taken to punish you, when you were treated unfairly and were mischaracterized, that is extremely painful. Extremely painful. Oh, I'm getting it now. I'm getting it, Jennifer. Yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah. Well, if they were humiliating him, that was the form of humiliation. <laughs> and the, when we're humiliated, the same parts of our brain light up is when we feel physical pain. Our brains process humiliation the same way we process physical pain. That's what you were picking up on. And he was shaking. Of course he was. Like, like he, he was having a physical reaction. Yeah. He sure was. I mean, it, I, his locks, I'm telling y'all, probably took this little boy at least five or ten years to grow his locks, and they took them off. Okay, I'm sorry. I understand this. I'm getting it. So that was not being given the benefit of the doubt. That's right. Okay. And then the last one is autonomy. And we see violations of autonomy with the very young, with the very old, with our patients. Yeah. When we think about policies, yeah. decisions made by people who are not affected by those decisions. Yeah. You know, when we think of a little kid, I do it myself. When we see patients, I, I have patients whose partners or, or parents are overfunctioning for them and they're sick of it. You know, they're actually capable of doing things around the house or at work or driving, and they're not given that autonomy. That's a violation of dignity. And I think, you know, when we think about older people saying, I don't want to be a burden, I think what they're saying is, I want my autonomy. Mm -hmm. I want my dignity. Mm -hmm. Wow. Whew. Okay. So I, lifestyle medicine, we have uh, six plus one pillars. So seven. And I'll, I'm like running those down. And sometimes I like get it scrambled in my head. And you just said, what, nine, right? Can you run those back for us real quick and just a sure. Three times. Sure. <laughs> Acceptance of identity, inclusion, safety, both physical and psychological, understanding, recognition, acknowledgement, fairness or justice, autonomy, benefit of the doubt, and accountability. I think that's them. Yeah, yeah. So one of my questions, you know, prepping for our episode was, you know, how do you know when it's been violated? But you've already answered that. You already answered it. It's a, it's a feeling. Are there any other ways that you know it's been violated? Are there some ways that you're like, maybe discount what you're feeling and ignore the feeling? And then what are the signs after that that come back around and slap you in the face that say, no, you've been violated. Your dignity has been violated. 
Yeah. So in addition to that visceral feeling, we can look at our thoughts and when our dignity, our worth, our inherent value has been violated, we can feel shame because shame is, I am a mistake. I am not worthy. So if we have feelings of shame, look back at the event, did this violate one of those or more? It's usually more than one element of dignity has been violated. And I find the ability to see those elements can really help people look at what happened. So we have thoughts of I'm not worthy. We have feelings of shame or that visceral feeling of humiliation or exclusion. We can also look at our behaviors. When our dignity is violated, there are what Dr. Hicks calls temptations. And those behaviors include lashing out, avoiding conflict, running the other way, right? If we're not used to standing up for ourselves or we don't feel safe, we can avoid conflict. Staying in an unsafe relationship violates our own dignity further. Avoiding responsibility, repelling feedback. All of these things are behaviors that we can fall prey to when our dignity has been violated. It's all how we were created and evolved, right? We, if you think about an animal, it's had its toy or food taken away. It's going to snap back, right? It's going to bear its teeth. Right. If we imagine a person who's, who's talked poorly about at work, they're going to start gossiping to seek reassurance and have their dignity propped up externally. So the other temptations include false intimacy through gossip, wanting to connect with people by gossiping about the person who violated their dignity, which I think just pollutes the ecosystem. Yeah, It's understandable. We need connection. We need community. It's functional up to a point. It, it's sort of like how long you stay in the bathtub at some point, the water's dirty, right? You get in the bathtub oh. and it's at some point it becomes cold. It's like this inverted you, you know, it, yeah. right? there's a benefit to connecting with others. And then at some point it just continues to violate our dignity. And now the ecosystem right. in which we work, those people we, we complain and air our grievances to ourselves and the person who hurt us. It's not creative or generative. And then the other temptation is to seek false dignity through acknowledgement from others. We need to feel our own dignity and protect and, and guard and grow our own dignity. So I think those behaviors are all understandable. And this is how wars start. Yeah. I think if we can think about how can we reclaim our dignity after a violation, that's what I, that's what I help people do is, right. yeah, we need to feel the grief. Grievance and grief are so closely connected. We need to feel that. We've got a problem, y'all. There is too much to do and not enough time. Your personal life takes a back seat to a profession that you have spent decades training for. Your calling 
seems to be burdensome in a system that does not prioritize your well-being. You do not have to live this way. When you take care of patients, who takes care of you? I'm Dr. V, a burnout consultant, and you need me as your personal coach. I take care of the healthcare provider that takes care of everybody else. Go to officevisitswithdrv.com and click on the coaching tab. Schedule a free discovery interview so I can learn more about the life that you need to be fulfilled. That was good, right? Oh my gosh, you have got to stay tuned for part two. We're going to be talking about reclaiming your dignity. Now that you know what it is, what it feels like, we got to understand how you reclaim it. And again, guys, I think this will not only help you in the workplace, but it's going to help you with your relationships. After our call, I was like, you know what? I think I need you to help us with some family stuff to clear up some stuff. And so I, I just really hope this will be a blessing to you all. Stay tuned for part two next week. Thanks for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. I would love to stay connected. So please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V and on LinkedIn at Benita Vernado, MD. Share this information with your friends and colleagues. Like and subscribe. You know the drill. Also, go to officevisitswithdrv.com backslash connect and leave your email to receive updates on everything that Dr. V is doing to introduce you to your new life.